Hello, my friends. Uh, interesting show today, if I may say so myself. A great interview with Lawrence Fox from the Reclaim Party in the UK. Boy, does he have a story. I can hardly wait to introduce him to you. But before that, I take a trip down memory lane and play for you an excerpt from a KGB defector to Canada. His name was Yuri Bezmanov. It's from an interview he gave in 1984 about the demoralization of the West. And I've got a thesis I'd like to share with you on that. But before I get to that, let me invite you to become a subscriber to Rebel News Plus. For eight bucks a month, you get the video version of this podcast. I think you'll find it useful in today's show for a number of reasons. Um, I mean, I love the podcast, of course, but the video version shows you things that uh, sometimes you just have to see visually. Just go to rebelnewsplus.com, click subscribe. It's eight bucks a month. And you know what? We need that dough because we don't take any money from Trudeau. We rely on you and viewers like you. So please consider subscribing. All right, here's today's podcast. Tonight, do you get the feeling that they're trying to demoralize us? I do, and I don't think it's by accident. It's August 3rd, and this is the Ezra Levant Show. Shame on you, you censorious bug. I'm thinking about the word demoralized a lot. Do you know what I mean by that? You're sort of confused, your confidence is gone, your spirit, your belief, your passion is gone, you're demoralized. You don't really know what principles you hold anymore. What's right or wrong? Do you even have a reason to exist? I, I think those are some rough definitions of the word demoralized. And I feel like everywhere we look, there are strategic attempts to demoralize our entire society. I follow a Twitter account called Libs of TikTok. And it's just what it sounds like, samples of always young people, liberals, left-wingers on TikTok, and what they're saying in many cases, these libs of TikTok, are teachers bragging about the crazy things they're teaching their kids. These days, mainly, their non-binary and their gender identity is not what they think it is. Here's just a sample of libs of TikTok. And again, that whole Twitter account is nothing but showing what these left-wing teachers are teaching. Take a look at Libs of TikTok. Happy Pride Month, friends. I've always considered myself to be an inclusive educator, but it's only been in the past few years that I put my words into actions. So at the start of a semester, I asked my students for their pronouns, a reminder that they are not preferred, but they are the pronouns that we should be addressing them by. And I also asked them to tell me if I can use their pronouns in front of the class, in front of other teachers, in what I call home, because everyone is in a different part of their journey, and we need to be able to respect that. I've been doing some reading this summer, uh, and so I thought I would share a couple of books, because you have a little bit of time left to do some reading. I also read Jack Not Jackie by Erica Silverman. Phenomenal read. So if you're a K-1, 2, 3 even, it's a really good read called Jack Not Jackie. Um, and I really enjoyed that, and I'm excited it'll be on our shelves in the media center this fall. You have a mind to keep me quiet, and although you can try, better men have hit their knees and bigger men have died. Why is that being emphasized of, on children of tender years? I mean, it would be weird enough 
to have such a sexual domination of content and curriculum at a high school or college level, but often this is in grade school. Why? What's the point? Why do we see these drag queen story times at libraries for children? Why do we see strip clubs inviting children in? What are, what, what's the point? Why are we trying to denature kids? And, and that's just sexuality. What about race? Critical race theory being taught here in, in Canada. Um, Canada has not a perfect history, but actually a very noble history when it comes to race. We were the destination of the Underground Railroad for runaway slaves from the United States. Canada passed a law banning the slave trade in 1793. We were part of the part of the British Empire that actually went to war against slavery and slave ships. Why are we then denouncing Canada as being racist? And the Emancipation Day uh, event the other day implied that Canada was a major slave-holding country. Why are we grafting on that foreign narrative onto Canada and trying to demoralize ourselves? I see that the NDP is demanding that all conservative leadership candidates answer the question, do you believe that Canada committed genocide against our First Nations? Yes or no? The NDP is demanding it, but the CTV is enforcing it. Since when is it a requirement to be patriotic, to be unpatriotic, Again, I, our history with Aboriginal people is not perfect, but a genocide to equate our own country to Nazi Germany, the most famous genocider of all? What's going on? Why are we trying to demoralize ourselves? And this is, of course, on top of the perpetual demoralization about the climate, and you're to blame. You're the reason we're going to die because you drive a car and heat your home in the winter and cool it in the summer. We saw that with these climate tire uh, this, this tire terrorism that we saw uh, that I did my show about the other day, we're normalizing crimes against you because of your tires. I don't understand it. But then I remembered a video I saw years ago of a KGB agent who defected from the Soviet Union and found his way to Canada of all places. In 1970, now Trudeau Sr. was just in his first term, and Canada welcomed this KGB defector and, in fact, helped him set up a new life. He even worked briefly at the CBC, which is stunning. That would never happen these days. Of course, these days, if you were an anti-communist defector embarrassing a communist regime, Trudeau wouldn't have you because he's in favor of the communist regimes, whether it's Cuba or China, or the former Soviet Union. And the idea that an anti-communist would find work at the CBC is unthinkable. Bezmanov later says that the KGB pressured Trudeau to fire him. That part I would believe. But his name was Yuri Bezmanov, and he lived in the West, and he really tried to raise the alarm in the West about how the KGB operated. And let me read to you one line from an interview, and I'm going to play you a fully a nine-minute excerpt of an interview he did of more than an hour. But I want to read to you this very interesting point that caught me by surprise. Let me quote, and you'll hear this in the clip I'm about to show you. Bezmanov said, the main emphasis of the KGB is not in the area of intelligence at all. 
Only about 15% of the time, money, and manpower is spent on espionage and such. The other 85% is a slow process, which we call either ideological subversion or active measures or psychological warfare. Psychological warfare. Do you know where I'm coming from? I was just talking to you about demoralizing our whole country, especially our youth. Well, in 1984, after he had been in the West for more than a dozen years, Bezmanov sat down for, I would call it a feature interview, and you can find it pretty quickly on YouTube. That's where I took the following clip. And he describes in great detail the Soviet plan for the West and how it was well underway. And as he says, it wasn't in the form of spycraft. It was psychological warfare. It was undermining Western confidence. And I've just gone through it from libs of TikTok to critical race theory to calling our own country genociders, all of these things, demonizing Canada for our slavery past when we were the place where slaves ran away too. That's the demoralization that Besmanov talked about. I'm going to play for you nine minutes solid. And I don't agree with every word he says. Or you can, it, it was clearly a speech of the moment of 1984. Perhaps one of the sharpest rivalries between the West and freedom, Ronald Reagan was president, and the Soviet Union. I think Yuri Andropov was the head of Russia at the time. Let me play nine minutes for you. And, I, and please do watch this. I... The whole video was over an hour. Obviously, I couldn't do that. But I wanted to let enough be said here so you got a flavor of Besmanov. And I hope that you feel motivated to click and watch the whole YouTube on your own. Please come back after nine minutes because there's a few things I want to say about how this might apply to us today. So here's Yuri Besmanov in 1984 talking about what the KGB is really like and how to demoralize the West. I'll see you in nine minutes. Ideological subversion is, is the process which is legitimate, overt, and open. You, you can see it with your own eyes. All, all you have to do, all American mass media has to do is to unplug their bananas from their ears, open up their eyes, and they can see it. There is no mystery. There is nothing to do with espionage. I know that espionage intelligence gathering looks more romantic. It sells more deodorants through the advertising, probably. That's why your Hollywood producers are so crazy about James Bond type of, of, of thrillers. But in reality, the main emphasis of the KGB is not in the area of it intelligence at all. According to my uh, opinion and opinion of many defectors of my caliber, only about 15% of time, money, and manpower is spent on espionage as such. The other 85% is a slow process which we call either ideological subversion or active measures, in the language of, of the KGB, or psychological warfare. What it basically means is to change the perception of reality of every American to such an extent that despite of the abundance of information, no one is able to come to sensible conclusions in the interests of defending themselves, their families, their community, and their country. It's a great brainwashing uh, process which goes very slow and it's divided in, in four basic stages. Uh, the first one being demoralization. It takes from 15 to 20 years to demoralize a nation. Why that many years? 
because this is the minimum number of years which requires to uh, educate one generation of students in the country of, of, of your enemy, exposed to the ideology of the enemy. In other words, Marxism-Leninism ideology is being pumped into the soft heads of, of, of at least three generations of American students without being challenged or counterbalanced by the basic values of Americanism, American patriotism. The result, the result you can see, most of the people who graduated in the 60s, dropouts or half-baked intellectuals, are now occupying the positions of power in the government, civil service, business, mass media, educational system. You are stuck with them. You cannot get rid of them. They are contaminated. They are programmed to think and react to certain stimuli in a certain pattern. You cannot change their mind. Even if you, if you expose them to authentic information, even if you prove that white is white and black is, uh, is black, you still cannot change the basic perception and the logic of behavior. In other words, these people, uh, uh, the process of demoralization is complete and irreversible. To get rid of society of these people, you, have, you need another 20 or, or, or 15 years to educate a new generation of patriotically minded and, and, and uh, common, common sense people who would be acting in favor and in the interests of, of the uh, of, uh, United States society. And yet these people who have been programmed and, as you say, in place and yes. who are favorable to an opening with the Soviet concept, mm -hmm. these are the very people who would be marked for extermination in this country? Most of them, yes. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, simply because the psychological shock, when, when they will see in future what the, what the beautiful society of equality and social justice means in practice, obviously they will revolt, they, 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 will, uh, they, they will be very unhappy, frustrated people. And the Marxist-Leninist regime does not tolerate these people. Uh, they, obviously they will join the links of dissenters, mm -hmm. dissidents. Uh, unlike in present United States, there will be no place for dissent in, in future Marxist-Leninist America. Uh, here you can, you can get uh, popular like uh, Daniel Ellsberg and filthy rich like Jane Fonda for being dissident, for criticizing your Pentagon. In future, these people will be simply squashed like cockroaches. Nobody is going to pay them nothing for their beautiful, noble ideas of equality. This they don't understand, and uh, it will be the greatest shock for them, of course. The demoralization process in the United States is basically completed already. Uh, for the last 25 years, actually it's overfulfilled because uh, demoralization now reaches such areas where previously not even Comrade Andropov and, and all his experts would, would even dream of such a tremendous success. Most of it is done by Americans to Americans thanks to lack of moral standards. As I mentioned before, uh, exposure to true information does not matter anymore. A person who was demoralized is unable to assess true information. The facts tell nothing to him. Uh, even if I shower him with information, with, with authentic proof, with documents, with pictures, even if I take him by force to the Soviet Union and show him concentration camp, he will refuse to believe it until he, he is going to receive a kick in, the, in his fat bottom. When a military boot crashes his then he will understand, but not before that. That's the tragic of the situation of demoralization. 
So basically, America is stuck with, with demoralization. And unless, even if, if you start right now, here, this minute, you start educating new generation of Americans, it will still take you 15 to 20 years to turn the tide of, uh, of ideological perception of reality uh, back to normal, no, normalcy and, and uh, patriotism. The next stage is destabilization. This time, subverter does not care about your ideas and the patterns of your consumption. Whether you eat junk food and get fat and flabby, it doesn't matter anymore. This time, and it takes only from two to five years to destabilize a nation, uh, it's, what, what matters is essentials. Economy, foreign relations, defense systems. Uh, and you can see it quite clearly that in some areas, uh, in such sensitive areas as, as uh, defense, an economy. Uh, the uh, influence of Marxist-Leninist ideas in the United States is absolutely fantastic. I, I could never believe it 14 years ago when I landed uh, in this part of the world that the process will go that fast. Uh, the next stage, of course, is crisis. It, it, it may take only up to six weeks to, to bring a country to the verge of crisis. You can see it in, in Central America now. And after crisis, with a violent change of, of power, structure, and economy, you have so-called the period of normalization. It may last indefinitely. Normalization is a cynical expression borrowed from Soviet propaganda. When the Soviet tanks moved into Czechoslovakia in 68, Comrade Brezhnev said, now the situation in brotherly Czechoslovakia is normalized. This is what will happen in the United States if you allow all these schmucks to bring the country to crisis to promise people all kinds of goodies and the paradise on earth, uh, to, to destabilize your uh, economy, to eliminate the principle of free market competition, and to put a big brother government in Washington, D.C., with uh, benevolent dictators like Walter Mondale, who will promise lots of things, never mind whether the promises are fulfillable or not. He will go to Moscow to kiss the bottoms of, of new generation of Soviet assassins. Never mind. He will create false illusions that the uh, situation is under control. Situation is not under control. Situation is disgustingly out of control. Most of the American politicians, media, and educational system trains another generation of people who think they are living at a peacetime. False. United States is in a state of war, undeclared total war against the basic principles and the foundations of, of this system. And, and the initiator of this war is not Comrade Andropov, of course. Uh, it's, it's the system, however ridiculous it may sound, the world communist system or the world communist conspiracy. Whether I scare some people or not, I don't give a hoot. Uh, if, if you are not scared by now, nothing can scare you. What do you think of that? Do you think he's right? I think he's obviously right. I think it's been proven true. Now, what's interesting is he said those things in 1984. Two years later, the Chernobyl nuclear reactor blew up. And I really believe, especially after watching the miniseries Chernobyl, which I highly recommend, that I really believe it was a catalyst for the demoralization of the Soviet Union. The economic exhaustion, the loss of face and confidence, the greatest nuclear disaster in history befell the Soviet Union, and they couldn't handle it, and they tried to cover it up, and they were too ashamed to ask for help from the West. And just trying to deal with it was such a massive 
command of the resources of the state. It really, in concert with Reagan's military built up, was the end of the Soviet Union. And you could say in some ways it truly demoralized the Soviets, or at least their citizens, not through any psychological warfare, but just from the shattering impact that such a calamity, a government-made, government-exacerbated tragedy and shock had on the country. That was not yet known when Bezmenov gave his uh, speech in 1984. But the Soviet Union fell, and I think perhaps surprising a few, pe- a few people, it fell without a shot. All those mighty armies were not needed. In the end, the Berlin Wall fell and dominoes one after the other. Now, we didn't have a de-Soviet, de-communistification progress or process like we had after World War II. As you know, there was a denazification process in Nazi Germany to get rid of that ideology that never happened in the former Soviet Union because it ended without a shot. But I don't think that the Soviet Union is dominant anymore. It no longer exists as a country. Russia is at war with the West, you could say, but I don't think that other than its oil and gas weapon and its threats to its nearby neighbors, it is the total threat that it wanted to be when Bezmenov spoke on it. But I think the enemies of the West, the enemies of freedom, the enemies of American democracy and, and the allied West exist still. But instead of the Soviet Union as the alternative, maybe it's China. Maybe it's not a country at all, but a class The world's oligarchs, whether it's Bezos and Zuckerberg or George Soros or the World Economic Forum. I mean, the World Economic Forum speaks about global domination, about infiltrating and penetrating governments around the world. Here's a man with a German accent named Klaus Schwab, but if he had a Russian accent and if he represented the Communist Party rather than the World Economic Forum Party, it would pretty much sound the same. Remember this? What we are very proud of now is the young generation like uh, Prime Minister Trudeau, um, President of, Brazil, of uh, Argentina and so on, is that we penetrate the cabinets. So yesterday I was at a, rece- at a reception for Prime Minister Trudeau and I would know that half of this cabinet or even more half of, uh, half of this cabinet are for our actually young global leaders of the world. A group of presidents for life, that's what the World Economic Forum is, accountable to no one, talking about penetrating the world's governments and having a kind of global governance. How is that really significantly different from the Soviet Union? I put it to you that the demoralization continues, and it's not at the behest of the Soviet Union. I think China is happy to see it and Iran and the other enemies of the West, but the real people whipping it up are not in Moscow. They're in New York and Hollywood. They're oligarchs. They're people who demoralize us through pornography, through gaming, through big pharma, through numbing us and dulling us. And as Yuval Noah Harari says, making us useless to the point where all we'll do is take drugs and play video games to pass the time. Here's the World Economic Forum's Yuval Noah Harari talking about that. And then the big political and economic question of the 21st century will be what do we need humans for? Or at least what do we need so many humans for? Do you have an answer in the book? Um, 
At present, the best guess we have is uh, keep them happy with drugs and computer games. In the industrial revolution of the 19th century, what humanity basically learned to produce was all kinds of stuff, like textiles and shoes and weapons and, and vehicles. And this was enough for very few countries that underwent the revolution fast enough to subjugate everybody else. What we're talking about now is like a second industrial revolution, but the product this time will not be textiles or machines or vehicles or even weapons. The product this time will be humans themselves. We are basically learning to produce bodies and minds. Bodies and minds are going to be, I think, the two main products of the next wave of all these uh, uh, changes. And if there is a gap between those that know to produce bodies and minds and those that do not, then this is far greater than anything we saw before in, in history. And this time, if you're not part of the revolution fast enough, then you probably become, become extinct. Once you know how to produce bodies and brains and minds, so cheap labor in Africa or South Asia or wherever, it, it simply counts for nothing. Again, I think that the biggest question, in, in maybe in economics and politics of the coming decades, will be what to do with all these useless people. I don't think we have an economic model to, for that. My best guess, which is just a guess, is that uh, food will not be a problem. Uh, with that kind of technology, you will be able to produce food for, to feed everybody. The problem is more uh, boredom and how, what to do with them and how will they find some sense of meaning in life when they are basically meaningless, worthless. My best guess at present is a combination of drugs and computer games. Demoralizing a country, taking away its meaning, taking away its purpose. China is full of purpose and charisma and plans. I think they're wrong. I think they're authoritarian. I think they're, in frankly, in many ways, imperialist and even racist. I think the Chinese Communist Party is the threat that the Soviet Communist Party never quite could be. And I think technology and economy are the two reasons for it. And while China gets more and more confident, we undermine ourselves. If you look at Rachel Levine in uniform, compare that to the Chinese military's actions around Taiwan the past few days, you know which is the demoralized country and which is the country on the ascent. I think that the West is still under attack from demoralization, as Yuri Bezmenov told us almost 40 years ago. But it's not under attack from Moscow. I, I, you could say it's partly under attack from China, including through the TikTok app, which is from China. But there is a class that seeks to undermine us by taking away our moral confidence and replacing it with any sort of the opiums I've list, listed a moment ago. I think we're still in trouble, and I think we haven't listened to Yuri Bezmenov. And sometimes I wonder if it's too late. Speaking of demoralization, you're not going to believe our next interview after this short break. here at Rebel News, we deal with online censors all the time, but typically that takes the form of Facebook saying, we will not post this. It goes against our community standards. Or on YouTube, you can actually get a strike 
they're called, three strikes you're out. If you say something that's disapproved, uh, for example, if you repeat any of Donald Trump's arguments about the 2020 election being compromised, that's a strike, very specific. If you say things that are against public health orders, that can be a strike. But like I say, the punishment is only within that app. You're not actually getting punished in real life. You're just losing your access to your account. But not so in the United Kingdom, where there are literally hundreds of police on the Facebook beat. And what I mean by that is if they find a Facebook post that goes against their police sensibilities, very political, they can actually show up at your house. I'm talking about uniformed police. They can even arrest you. Take a look at this video from last week in the United Kingdom. No, this Hampshire police would realise how ridiculous this is. It is. It is. Of course, I'm happy to come to this. What did it need to come to? Tell us why you it to this level, because I don't understand. I posted something that he posted. You come to arrest me, you don't arrest him. Why has it come to this? Why am I in cuffs? Because of something he shared, then I shared. Because someone has been caused, obviously, anxiety based upon your social media post. The anxiety caused by your social media post. Well, I think that I'm anxious just watching them talk about someone be anxious and arresting a man. Well, that video was filmed by a man with nerves of steel. And I'm delighted to say he joins us now. His name is Lawrence Fox. He's the leader of the Reclaim Party in the United Kingdom. He's also involved with the Bad Law Project, which is a wonderful name. We'll talk a little bit more about him, but mainly we want to talk about this case. Lawrence Fox joins us now via Skype from the UK. Lawrence, great to have you on the show. I'm a fan and a follower of yours on social media. You caused me some anxiety, but I don't think I would ever sick the cops on you for causing me that anxiety. Tell us a little bit more about who that man was that was being arrested and what did he do to make people so anxious that the cops thought they'd have to arrest him? Uh, it's lovely to see you, Ezra, and I'm glad that I caused you anxiety. That's the whole fun <laughs> of social media, isn't it? Um, well, actually, the, the man's name is Darren Brady. He's a uh, decorated uh, military veteran from the Light Infantry in uh, Great Britain, which uh, uh, Army Regiment, uh, Army uh, Battalion and Regiment held in high esteem uh, in this country. And he, uh, it's actually my fault, this whole thing, because on the, on the first day of the Holy Month of Pride, um, I took a meme that had been circulating of these four progressive pride flags put together. And when they're put together edge to edge, they create the shape of a swastika. And I thought, um, seeing as pride is about, uh, you know, absolute obedience to this uh, this uh, trans ideology and this progressive pl- pride movement, uh, I thought I'd, I, I'd compare it to um, to Nazism essentially, because if you walk down the main shopping street in London uh, in in Pride Month, it it is like a Nuremberg rally. It's just pride flags across the street, and sure to form. Uh, Twitter took me down for it, and I had to apologise to the great Twitter police. Then this man, Darren Brady, um, 
who obviously served our country with pride, um, reposted the meme on Facebook in a group and said, what do we think of this? And um, for that, he was reported to the police for what they call a non-crime hate incident, causing of offence, hmm. essentially. it's uh, It comes out of a, a set of guidance and it, it has a long history. But anyway, you can tell by the title of it that it's completely ridiculous as an idea, a non-crime crime. So he was visited by the police. We have uh, noticed in the UK that um, these political ideologies, these very, very leftist political ideologies, have taken root in every one of our national institutions. You can see it in Canada as well and across the former liberal West. And um, he was visited by the police, uh, by three of them on a Sunday morning and they started to harass him. So he told them that he, he to go away and come back in a, in, a, in a week, which they did. And in the meantime, he called us the Bad Law Project and we went down there and we decided that we would film the police's interaction with this man to see just how uh, they would behave. And, you know, the footage went absolutely viral. I think it's gone to sort of four and a half million views now as you see the police uh, trying to police the inside of someone's mind when um, seven out of 10 uh, coppers in London, uh, coppers being policemen here, uh, haven't made an arrest in a year, uh, only 5% of burglaries are solved. So real crime is at a record high in the UK, but they managed to find in the end seven officers and two vans to arrest two thought criminals. And um, it's just an example of how, of how dreadfully Britain is falling now uh, in the face of these our, our foundational institutions overtaken by wokery. Hmm. Well, help me out with this, and, and maybe there is no good answer to it. If it is a, quote, non-crime hate incident, I wrote that down carefully because that is quite a pretzel, isn't it? I mean, is it a crime or not? Hmm. And if it's not a crime, why are the cops here on a Sunday morning? So if it's a non-crime how do you arrest someone for a non-crime? What was the reason they, they arrested him? Um, because he was, wouldn't talk with them? He wouldn't go quietly? Did they, did they finally charge him with some sort of crime? That's, that's the puzzle for me, is how do you get arrested for a non-crime? Exactly. This is the problem. Well, there was a, the, the police have made a litany of mistakes here, and there will be a film, actually, which we'll put out tomorrow. I'm happy, really happy to send it to you. And um, you'll see. Essentially, it's Section 127 of the Public Order Act, which is causing, which was intended, you know, causing someone gross offence or something like this, you know, uh, that came about several years ago. But what uh, the non-crime is, is actually... Um, the history of it is quite noble but because it was it came about as a result of Stephen Lawrence who was murdered in a racist murder in the UK and the and the police the McPherson report found that if um they had been able to follow and look for these racist killers who vile racist murderers who killed Stephen Lawrence before they committed the act then maybe they would be able to have stopped the act taking place but obviously now it's just been overtaken uh, by the woke people, the the uh, Mr. Brady was not charged. Uh, Harry Miller, the uh, co-founder with myself and others of the Bad Law Project, was arrested for obstructing the police oh, because he said he had he hasn't committed a crime, mm -hmm. so you cannot arrest him. Mm. And he was released. Uh, Darren was taken into the cells, uh, dragged out in front of his neighbours and. Uh, his local community and he was dragged into a police van taken to the cells and released 90 minutes later without charge 
it was it was a shakedown that's what it was it was it was an attempt to and i and bearing in mind that i was the person that created the meme in the first place mm. i was just very surprised that i wasn't arrested that was mm. why i was there i was like i i did it why are you not arresting me but in true to form the british police decide to do to get the small guy mm -hmm. so they'll go and get the small guy scare him and his community mm. rather than go after me well that's the thing i mean you have cops come to your home they're saying we know where you live we're watching you. We're not uh, bound by any rules that you might think. We don't have to have a real crime here. We're coming here, and every one of your neighbors can see we're coming here. So be embarrassed and be scared. Um, it, it's a psychological attack. Um, I, I wonder if these same police would show such courage in British cities like Rotherham or Telford or Rochdale <laughs> or any of the places where literally thousands of young British girls have been raped on a systemic basis again and again and again by these rape gangs, or they're sometimes called grooming gangs. I don't think that's a strong enough word. The police, according to government inquiries, say they were afraid of being called racist, so they literally did not stop these industrial-scale rape rooms. But boy, they got time to go after it. You say, you say there were seven cops in the end? That went after this Facebook team, seven, eh? Yeah, in the end, there were seven cops who who could be uh, Hampshire burglary is. Uh, you, you're lucky nowadays in the UK and in Hampshire as well. If your house is burgled, uh, you're lucky if a policeman will attend. So mm -hmm. you know, and as you say, the the, the 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 problem with political policing, which is what we have in the UK, is that they will only police certain things and. Uh, uh, as you say, grooming gangs not a strong enough word for it. It's systemic rape. Uh, they they were too frightened, you know. And 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 this division caused in society by uh, assuming or causing calling everyone a racist if they happen to try and solve a crime that involves somebody from a dif different ethnicity has left uh, thousands and thousands of victims, uh, young women, utterly utterly uh, abandoned by their by the justice system. And yet, you know, as you say, come and police someone's thoughts. It's a sign of a, of, of a completely broken uh, legal system and policing system. And, and I can't really think about what to do to mend it other than to disband the police force and mm. rehire it and, mm. and get a new one because it's everywhere. The, the, the anti-racism cause is everywhere. And um, the Metropolitan Police is full of it. We've got record knife crime in London. The, the, in England, we've never had more crime than we have now mm. since records began. And that, that's not a good thing. But somehow you can spare seven officers to come and um, shake down a guy. They, uh, initially, they said, if, we, if you give us 60 pounds, <laughs> we will um, send you off on a re-education course and um, you can then we will get rid of the charges. So essentially, it's just a shakedown. It's, it's yeah. like it's the early days of the Stasi, the Gestapo and the Cheka. That's what it is. That's crazy. Now, I understand that, um, that, I mean, this has really ricocheted around the UK, but like you say, it's gone global. I understand that um, a politically attentive commissioner has said, yeah, I saw the video and I, and I don't like what I saw. What, what's been the reaction from some of the higher brass? I'm, I'm guessing they're not going to actually change anything. They're just embarrassed by this one incident, so they're going to pretend that they don't support this. 
yeah, uh, the, the, what they, they call them police and crime commissioners in the UK. So the local police and crime commissioner for that area uh, threw her force under the bus. But the and the chief constable actually subsequently has been sideways promoted. So she's lost her job, uh, it, as far as I can gather. Um, but yeah, there'll be a lot of noise about it, and there'll be a lot of oh, we do, we condemn this behaviour and all of this stuff, but nothing will change. But that's why the bad law project is so important, because we will be going after the police now. The, the, what happened on uh, the initial Sunday and then the following Thursday when we turned up is just the beginning of the process, because uh, you know, as you well know, and as anyone who's been cancelled or who's suffered at the hand of these woke ideologues, they make the process the punishment. Mm. And we are going to do exactly the same. We're going to take them to their highest court in the land and get rid of these non-crime hate incidents and get rid of uh, this political policing. Because we, the British Police Charter says that you're to police all communities without fear, without favour. And you see that that is not taking place in England. The way the lockdown protests were policed was very aggressive, uh, involved quite a lot of violence from the police. But you can go and smash a window of a, a BP or yeah. SO or, a, or any oil corporation or anything like that, and the police will just stand by and watch idly. So we need to return a sense of trust and faith in our police force, which is is now vanished. And I'm glad that what we're doing is highlighting this. And we're going to go after every single national institution that is corrupted. We have education, which is corrupted in the UK through exactly the same as what's happening in America and Canada. Um, CRT, diversity, equity, inclusion, gender ideology. We have um, the same in the health service. So, you know, that th this was just our first shot. And um, we, we have a long line of things that we're going to do until we have our institutions back and until they support the country that they're meant to represent. So is that, are you talking now about the bad law project? Because it's just such an interesting name. Give yeah. me one minute, like, what is it? Is it a, is it a law firm? Is it a public interest uh, group? Is it an advocacy group? Uh, how do you join? And do you have a website? Like, I, I just love the name, the bad law project, because there is a lot of bad law and bad law enforcement. Uh, give me just a minute on on what that is. Yeah, sure. So there's a there's a very famous woke barrister in England who uh, started up a legal uh, entity called the Good Law Project, uh, who you know <laughs> does everything woke. So we thought, well, we'll do the Bad Law Project. Essentially, the Bad Law Project is an un it, it, it involves we have a, a legal team. We then have an uncancellable. Thank you, Canada, for teaching us that. An uncancelable crowdfunding mechanism. Mm. Oh, good. So, uh, and we are able to uh, take, you know, take donations from people who 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 want to fight back against it. And we have a legal team sat in the room over there, um, currently working on a slew of cases. So, essentially, it, it it will, in time, I imagine, become. A legal firm but at the moment it's a it's a legal movement yeah. it's a political movement via legal uh legal methods and it, but it's but it's anti-political as well you know because i think anyone who cares about free speech and and the right to free expression you don't need to be a conservative or or left-wing or a centrist we should all believe in free speech and um we have you know some of the people we're looking we're representing a green party members and stuff like that so it's um, it's it's going to be interesting, but at the it's, I suppose it's a movement, and um, and it's it's a movement with with legal teeth, and we're, we'll also find out, ironically, uh, just how corrupted the judiciary are. Yeah. 
Well, it's you're right to say that there's um, the old ideological lines don't necessarily work. I mean, I, I I know that Big Brother Watch in the UK it's typically on the left. Silky Carlo, these are activists against state surveillance, and I, I think maybe in the past I would have regarded them as lefties and and opponents. But I think the people on the right and the left can both atta- both agree with privacy and getting away from the surveillance state and and reclaiming as your party is called freedom of speech i i want to ask you has the left in the uk completely abandoned their former love for free speech i i I mentioned one or two quick exceptions there but in canada free speech is now put in quotation marks in the media and the people who used to believe in it in the 60s and 70s are now the chief censors um is there still a liberal movement for free speech in the uk or is that really evaporated um, th- there is, but the, uh, in the same as Canada, you get the uh, parentheses around it. So free speech is essentially a now what they would call a right-wing dog whistle. There are some traditional left-wing voters uh, who are very much believe in free speech, but the problem is in the same way as you have in America, you have a very, very radical leftist wing of the Labour Party, which is, uh, you know, our our equivalent of the Democrats in the States, who drive the opposition's priorities to the point where the leader of the Labour Party, much like uh, Ketanya Chan, what's her name, the latest Supreme Court judge, Jackson Brown, um, couldn't tell you what a woman is. So they've abandoned not only have they abandoned free speech, they've abandoned the meaning of words, which is a much more dangerous thing altogether. And I was looking actually this morning on um, Wiktionary, uh, the the definition of the meaning of the word definition. (laughs) (laughs) And that's that's quite interesting. It's a definition is a fluid sense of terms. It's like, no, it's not. That's exactly the opposite of what definition means. So, um, you know, for those that it's not so much about defending free speech anymore, it's about defending language and the meaning of words and the meaning of law. So, you know, it's uh, we're in very, very perilous times. Wow. Well, I mean, we've learned just so much from you in the last uh, 15 minutes. I'm very grateful to you to to join us. And I I have some hope when I look to the UK. I see little green shoots of freedom, whether it's the Reclaim Party or GB News, which I think is a very thoughtful uh, news. And and the fact that it's doing so well in the ratings, the Daily Skeptic and Toby Young and his his free speech uh, projects, I, I feel like the UK has not lost as much as we have had, uh, as we have lost here in Canada. Maybe I'm only looking at the good stuff over there because I know it's pretty bad too, but um, I I hope that there's a resurgence. And I love the name of your party, the Reclaim Party, because you are reclaiming the heritage that we have inherited here. I mean, we are daughters of the empire. We are the part of the Commonwealth. Our legacy traces back to you. And so it's essential that you Brits keep your love for freedom because that that's what was handed down to us i we're downstream in some ways from you but it's great to have you on the show and i wish you good luck with both the reclaim party and the bad law project we'll sure keep our eyes peeled thank you ezra lovely to talk to you right on there you have it lawrence fox the leader of the reclaim party and co-founder of the bad law project stay with us more ahead Welcome back.
back your letters to me. AJ118 says, fact-checking didn't exist until the truth started coming out. Well, listen, fact-checking has always existed. It's you and me. We check our own facts. We read alternative sources of information. You know, what is an election campaign but two parties fact-checking and disputing the other? What is a trial other than two people with alter, alternate uh, points of view on the facts and the arguments? We always fact-check. Life is about checking and testing. The, the scientific method is about checking facts and checking hypotheses and trying to prove the other guy wrong. But to claim that in a political debate there is one side is the sole monopoly on objective truth and anyone else is a liar, I think the fact-checking industry is a lie itself. Friend of the King said, well, we can be sure of one thing. The so-called police will never catch them or even investigate. You're talking about these tire um, tyrants who go around taking the air out of tires in Victoria. They uh, declared victory um, in the state capital of Victoria. I, I would like it if the police would, would catch someone taking the air out of tires, but I would like it even more if a politician said, hey, that's wrong and we don't accept that, but haven't seen any of that yet. That's the show for today. Until tomorrow, on behalf of all of us here at Rebel World Headquarters, to you at home, good night, and keep fighting for freedom. Hey, everyone. Will and Jess here with Rebel News. Recently, Justin Trudeau invested enormous amount of money in Aspire, a basically a farming place that will produce bugs for human consumption. And the World Economic Forum is pushing the agenda that, well, we should put all of our good stake aside and instead sorely eat bugs. So right now, today, I am here in the University of Ottawa, a woke and liberal hotspot here in Ontario, to ask people if they are actually willing to trade their beef for bugs and to be compelled to eating bugs. And I have some bugs with me, so we'll be able to also make them taste it. Let's go and find out how it goes. So do you feel that climate change is an important issue nowadays that's going to affect future generations? Uh, yes, I do think it's really important. Um, it's like an issue that like affects everybody and like all living organisms, not just humans, but like other animals and plants and all that. So I think it's super important. Yeah, for sure. Because of the, like the, I don't know, the fire, like the um, rainforests are going to be on fire. Mm -hmm. um, the diseases that are like spreading like the global pandemic and that's um, with climate change, I yeah, encourage you. Yeah, yeah. Of course, of course, 100%. Uh, yes, very important. Uh, I'm currently in a field where I'm in mechanical engineering. I actually want to go into uh, the field of energy to try and help the energy crisis, burning fossil fuels, which is terrible, and maybe promote more electrical vehicles and stuff like that. Curious, do, you think, do you think politicians should care more about climate change than what they do right now? Absolutely. There's a lot more denudation. Greenpeace and the World Economic Forum, in order to fight for climate change, are encouraging right now the consumption of bugs and putting the production of beef aside. Do you think that's a suitable solution? Uh, yeah, for sure. Yeah, so instead of eating steak, you'd basically eat uh, bugs. Oh, eating bugs? Um, yeah. uh, that I mean, yes, there is protein in that because like trying to like have all the food groups. So I do understand that and like trying to like replace yeah beef with that or like. Just that would like, be a suitable solution. Yeah, that would be a suitable. So it's definitely like effective solution to like eliminate the use of beef or like decreasing as much as possible. Mm -hmm. Suitable. I don't know if most people in the public will like the idea, but 
we already know in some places in the world it's already introduced into their diet and their food and stuff like that. So I definitely think it's possible. I think that's a good solution for the future. I do, yes. Do you think people should be forced to eat uh, bugs in the name of climate change? I don't think they should be forced, but I do think it's an option and it should be available. It should be encouraged, do you think? Yeah. Have you ever eaten bugs uh, by yourself? Do you find that it tastes good? Uh, the ones I had, yes. <laughs> well, actually, we have some right here. We actually brought for you some green uh, grasshoppers, I believe. Do you want to taste them? Would you be willing to trade all of your beef for this? Maybe not all of it, but I would definitely half my beef consumption for this, yeah. Would you be willing to eat bugs instead of that? Uh, yeah. Yeah? Yeah. So actually, you're, you're in luck because right now, we brought some bugs today. We brought some grasshopper that are eatable. They're salt and lemon. So would you be willing to trade this for your Big Mac that you see right here? You can, you can touch one, you can taste one. Do you think that tastes better than beef? Right. So do you feel it's a good idea that the Klaus Schwab and the people at the WEF are forcing people to eat that or want to force people to eat that instead of having some delicious Big Macs? Uh, I don't want that. <laughs> you don't want to say anything? Uh, like, I don't want, like, no. Not oh, you don't want to eat them? Yeah, not for me. Do you think that's good? Yeah, it's not bad at all. You can eat one if you want to. Not really. I mean, did, did you know that Klaus Schwab and the World Economic Forum wants you to be forced to trade your beef and your steak for this? And scorpions and tarantulas? I would go vegetarian, honestly, but I'm not sure if I'm going to like try bugs. You don't want to try one in the name of climate change? I'll take one. But I'm not going to eat, eat it. Just say that, you know, that's a good solution. Would you be willing to trade your beef for, for that? Do you want to taste them? Would I want to taste it? Like, yeah. can I like feel it? Of course, one hundred percent. Oh wow! And like, you can like eat the whole. Yeah, thing. you can just crunch it. Yeah, it's totally eatable. <laughs> okay, I guess. I'll Do you want to try it? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> it's actually not that bad. So you'd be willing to to trade? Uh, would you be willing to force people to eat this instead of beef, like what the WEF is pushing right now? Um, I wouldn't say force, but I would definitely enforce people to do it because like it is, um, it's like, it, like it's not even that bad. It almost like tastes like a chip. Like, I don't know how to explain it. Like you need to be open with these ideas. Cause like, as you said before, it's really going to like impact other generations. So I feel like it's important to like enforce this and like, like the vaccine, you shouldn't force it, but you shouldn't force it on people. Yeah, not force it, but enforce it. Exactly. Can't doubt it because if there are people who eat these insects, but all this is cultural. So if I was in a country or in an environment where they eat insects, then I would already eat insects. But here, I'm forced. Would you be willing to eat bugs for climate change? Uh, it depends on what kind of bugs. Like I never, I never had bugs in the past. Um, well, you know what? Today, today's your lucky day because actually we have bugs right here. If you want to try to taste them, we have some grasshoppers. If you want to see them, uh, okay, I'll take it over. I'm good. You're not. You're, <laughs> that, that, that's not. That's not good enough. Doesn't look appealing. Uh, no. <laughs> so salt and yeah. It's not bad. It's not bad. Would you be willing to change your whole diet for for that? 
I don't know yet. <laughs> I could try. <laughs> yeah. And do you feel people should be forced to eat those bugs like that? No, definitely not. Tu peux même le manger, c'est super facile à manger, tu fais juste le croquer comme un popcorn. Non. Tu es pas prêt de personne qui qui a un terrain allergique vraiment avancé. Donc moi je vais pas comme ingérer beaucoup de trucs. Mais le problème n'est pas vraiment dans les insectes extérieurs extérieurs. C'est eux. C'est les méchants, c'est les méchants producteurs de d'huile puis tout ça en Alberta. C'est eux, c'est eux qui n'arrêtent pas de produire, produire, produire juste pour remplir. Au lieu de le faire en Alberta, on devrait juste l'envoyer en Iran puis en Irak puis en Arabie Saoudite tout seul. En Russie aussi, on produit des bons. Et même aussi, ce qu'ils font aussi, c'est que ils essaient de délocaliser leurs leur, leur grandes entreprises, mmh. quoi. Parce que dans, les, dans ces grands pays, comme la main d'œuvre est beaucoup plus chère. Donc maintenant, ils vont aussi polluer l'environnement des, des petits pays, quoi. Parce que la main d'œuvre est beaucoup plus bonne. So, so there you have it, folks. Stop producing oil in Alberta, please. Stop. Alberta, stop doing that. You're destroying the world. Manitoba, stop, please. And please give your money to Saudi Arabia, to Aramco, to people in Iran, Iraq, and Russia. That's the solution. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> So there you go, folks. It seems like most people claim that they do care about so-called climate change, but they're not willing to do what um, Klaus Schwab wants them to do when it comes to being forced to eat bugs and put all of their meat and their beautiful, tasty, delicious steak aside. Very interesting to see that happening here at the Woke University of Ottawa. Thank you for watching. This was William Diaz here with Rebel News.